0: Welcome to SLU Law Summations, presenting brief looks at legal matters that matter to you by St. Louis University School of Law, located in the heart of downtown St. Louis. Thank you for joining us for this special live recording of SLU Law Summations for our Health Law Live series, final edition. With President Biden's announcement of his updated recovery plan, Private and public companies in the United States have found themselves in the center of the nation's new, renewed effort to control the COVID-19 pandemic. Even prior to that, company leaders were grappling with how to safely return to work and what kind of requirements could be placed on their workforce. I'm Jessica Ciccone. Today we are joined by Elizabeth Pendo, the Joseph J. Simeon Professor of Law. As a member of both the Center for Health Law Studies and the William C. Waffle Center for Employment Law, Elizabeth is uniquely positioned to break this down for us. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So I have to be honest, um, I had a whole plan for today and <laughs> then Biden, the Biden administration announced the requirement for companies with more than 100 employees to require vaccination or regular testing that just threw everything out the window. So um, <laughs> we'll start with that. Like how does sure. this work? I imagine, and then again, I imagine it'll probably be legally challenged. And if not, I mean, we've already heard rumblings of that. So, and what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, well, the uh, Biden's order requires employers with more than a hundred employees to mandate vaccines or weekly testing. So, there is an alternative already built in, and that's federal employees, that's federal contractors, that staff at healthcare facilities that receive Medicare or Medicaid funding. It's probably about 80 million workers. So, it's really a significant um, order. And traditionally, vaccine mandates have come from the states um, at the state level. For example, vaccine mandates in public schools. During COVID-19, we've seen a lot of vaccine mandates come from private industry um, for their own workforce. But focusing on that federal order, the federal government does have authority to create rules that keep workers safe the Occupational Safety and Health Administration or OSHA is a federal regulatory agency that's tasked with keeping workers safe. So that's where that authority um, comes from. And there's a very strong argument that there is authority for this kind of order um, coming from that law and that authority. There could be some questions about whether a vaccine requirement or regular testing is necessary to protect workers. Um, from a grave danger. Uh, but I think there's a very strong legal basis for this order.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to think if I want to dig more <laughs> into that. Um, we we, get, we hear a lot about like the challengers kind of, ch- people that are wanting to challenge that rule and their arguments, you know, I think you, you touched on them a little bit, but <clears throat> what kind of legal proceedings you think are gonna go forward?
1: Sure. Uh, I think the authority is there so challenging the authority, I think, would not be successful, but there's a couple other kind of challenges um, that we might want to think about. I don't think either of those um, should ultimately be successful either, but the first is the scope of the order. Mm -hmm. Uh, What OSHA allows is um, regulation to ensure that employees are not exposed to what the law calls grave danger. So challengers would have to be arguing that COVID-19 does not present a grave danger Mm. under that law. Under some other laws like employment discrimination laws, other federal agencies have already recognized that the risk of COVID-19 represents a significant danger. So there's the danger element, and then whether or not requiring vaccines or regular testing is necessary to protect employees from that danger. Mm -hmm. So that could be one area of challenge, um, but I think uh, the Biden administration is on pretty solid ground there. The other is there have to be a couple of mandatory exceptions, Mm -hmm. which I expect to be developed um, in the coming weeks um, under an interim rule. Under federal laws, employers have to provide exceptions for employees who cannot get vaccinated for medical or disability related reasons or for religious reasons. Mm -hmm. So uh, as long as those exceptions are there, that shouldn't present a basis for challenge. Okay. Well, that sounds promising.
0: (laughs) I I wish it was just everyone understood how clear and concise it can be. Um, So even before that announcement, companies were working through plans to bring their workforce back to the office. And how do you think, and we've, we've heard, including like our university has a vaccine mandate how do you think um, the FDA approval of the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine impacted those decisions? And what else do you think might happen with that approval or and perhaps approval of the Moderna vaccine? Yeah.
1: Right, quite recent, right? Pfizer's uh, vaccine was granted full approval on August 23rd. And what that means is Pfizer's vaccine, at least for people uh, 16 years and older, has now undergone the same rigorous testing and regulatory review as dozens of other um, vaccines and medicines. And Moderna has applied for full approval. And Johnson & Johnson has said it will um, apply for full Mm -hmm. approval later in this year. And federal, full federal approval is important because some people objected to the vaccines as experimental mm-hmm. or pointed to the emergency use authorization notice requirements. And the full approval, at least for the Pfizer vaccine, really eliminates both of those arguments. Mm-hmm. Um, the FDA used an emergency use authorization for the vaccines developed by Pfizer and Moderna Um, and then later Johnson & Johnson. And what that means is it waived some of its regular data requirements and procedures to make sure that the vaccine was available to us earlier. They Mm -hmm. still underwent safety testing and effectiveness testing. The question is how many months of data was required? Two months or the full six months? We now have the full six months of data, certainly for the Pfizer vaccine, which is why there's full approval now.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Um and kind of to go back a little bit. So we t- we talked a bit about the Biden um the announcement, right? And and one thing specific in there is the 100 employees um requirement or kind of threshold. What were would there be any legal recourse um oh, I'm sorry, for the for companies that have under 100 employees would there be any legal recourse for bringing their employees back and and can they mandate a vaccine?
1: Yes, they can. Employers can mandate vaccinations in the workplace to protect against COVID-19 infection. Mm -hmm. Federal laws permit employers of any size to require vaccination as long as that mandatory vaccination policy meets the requirements of some other federal non-discrimination laws. Mm -hmm. That's the exception for people who have medical or disability-related issues or religious objections. Um, Employers can also ask about vaccine status or require proof of vaccine status. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean employers must require vaccines, right? Mm -hmm. It means they Mm -hmm. can. So Mm -hmm. even if it's they're under that 100, whether they're public or private, they can seek to mandate vaccines in their workplace as mm-hmm. long as they meet these other requirements with these couple of exceptions.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you, you kind of touched on something that I wanted to dig into a little bit as frustrated me as even as a non-lawyer. So like early <laughs> on in the pandemic, <laughs> there were some confusion over HIPAA um, and how that impacts how what an employer can inquire about so can you walk us can you i mean i feel like i know but (laughs) can you we've all
1: learned (laughs) lots about hipaa right
0: i know people are just throwing it out there like willy-nilly like they knew what they were talking about um can you walk us through the law and how it impacts the employer employee relationship
1: it is a really misunderstood law So I'm glad we're talking about it a little (laughs) bit. Uh, It's a federal medical privacy law that prevents disclosure of your personal health information to others without your consent. Mm -hmm. That's essentially what HIPAA does. And it protects uh, what the law calls protected health information. That's medical medical information that identifies you, by your name or your address, your date of birth—you know, something that's unique to you. Mm-hmm. It's information about a medical condition you have, like maybe a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. It's information about treatment you've received, because sometimes knowing about the treatment you've received could indicate or possibly indicate something about mm-hmm. your health. Mm-hmm. And it's information about uh, payment through insurance. Um, up for that? So anything that kind of reveals a medical condition about you. Uh, vaccination status is not protected health information. It mm-hmm. actually doesn't reveal anything about a medical condition. Um, it, and also HIPAA does not apply to everyone, right? It, it applies to uh, healthcare entities, businesses, mm-hmm. uh, insurance companies, other people they do business with. It doesn't imply apply to your employer, It doesn't apply to your university. It doesn't apply to a movie theater or a restaurant or a concert venue, for example. Mm -hmm. So they can require, they can ask about your vaccination status and they can require you to verify your vaccination status without violating HIPAA because it simply doesn't apply to them. There can be... There can be other requirements that apply to your employer, like sure. keeping your information confidential, for example, or mm-hmm. there's a separate federal law about keeping student information confidential, mm-hmm. but it's not mm-hmm. coming from HIPAA. Sure.
0: How does that, What you mentioned like a, an actual medical treatment or whatever, oh, no, whatever, <laughs> <laughs> but um, how does that apply when people are um, asking for testing result test results?
1: yeah that's testing for uh the purpose of public health rather than individual treatment so if my employer requires me to be tested before coming into the workplace that's not medical treatment for me Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. that's
1: a safety precaution before i enter the workplace where i'm going to interact with other people or the public or students Mm -hmm.
0: so just so be very clear if i were to ask you about your vaccination status that would not be a violation of hipaa
1: correct it would not be a violation of hipaa and i have been vaccinated so i will just tell you my vaccination status
0: (laughs) doesn't have to be awkward everybody um okay so any thoughts so moving on from that one any thoughts on the future of the workplace in this pandemic and do you think we have any like like legislation on the horizon? I know there's a particular case that you wanted to dig into about Delta, not the variant, the airline.
1: <laughs> the airline, right. <laughs> uh, Delta Airlines actually uh, got some coverage in the news because they announced that they were imposing a $200 a month surcharge for individuals who were not vaccinated. And they said this was to offset uh, the health insurance costs of treating those individuals. And mm-hmm. I think there's an open question about whether or not employers can impose these penalties. They mm-hmm. can definitely require you to be vaccinated. They can definitely mm-hmm. encourage you to be vaccinated, provide providing vaccination on site or uh, doing some sort of reward like a gift card or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And federal law currently allows you know, incentives, which could include rewards or penalties, as long as they're not so large that they're coercive. And there's a little bit of an open question about how large that might be, right? Because the law does not provide detail on how large it would have to be to be coercive. Uh, But the Affordable Care Act actually does give us some guidance here, and it says that rewards and penalties and wellness plans, which is how Delta is imposing this, can't exceed 30% of the cost of employee coverage. Mm -hmm. In 2020, Mm -hmm. that was about $7,500. So Delta's $200 a month plan would be about $2,400 for the year. And that could exceed 30% of employee coverage. But I think the bigger question here is Delta is doing this to try to overcome vaccine hesitancy on Mm -hmm. the part of some of its employees. So I think the bigger question is not are they permitted to do this, but is, will this be an effective policy? Mm-hmm. Is this a good way to go? Obviously, employers are playing a huge role in vaccination efforts, mm-hmm. but it's really unclear, based on some other research, whether or not these penalties are actually going to help them get mm-hmm. more people um, vaccinated. There's really little evidence that higher insurance premiums for the unvaccinated would work. Right. We have a little bit of evidence from smoking cessation programs and other mm-hmm. kind of wellness plans, and they do not. Su- that evidence does not suggest um, mm-hmm. that this will actually work.
0: Mm-hmm. It's not
1: clear that punishing people who don't maintain their health in ways we'd like them to is
0: actually effective. Mm-hmm. How what, what will this mean now? I mean, obviously, Delta has more than 100 employees, so they're going to be covered in that. But I I imagine that still makes a difference, though, because it's, you know, do they test them weekly or do they have to get, you know?
1: Well, they're a private employer and they're not a federal contractor. So the Biden order applies to federal employees, federal contractors, Uh and folks who work at hospitals and other healthcare facilities that receive federal funding. So as a private employer, Delta can require and always could require Mm -hmm. um, vaccination. Mm -hmm. The question is, what kind of penalties can mm-hmm. they impose? And are those penalties even a good idea? Because if they're doing this to encourage people to be vaccinated, this may not work.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we had previously talked about <clears throat> contractors um, before we hopped on for this. And I, I, we actually have a question that we got from the audience live audience question. And so the executive order addressing federal contractors excludes grants and those grantees from the vaccine mandate. What about cooperative agreements? And also, Dawn, how do the contractor provisions relate to the state public health agencies?
1: Well, yeah, interesting question. Huh. I think the, the order itself speaks in very broad terms.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: for a lot of these details, we really don't know how they're going to be developed, right? We're going to have to look to um, an interim rulemaking process, to which doesn't need to go through the regular, extremely lengthy rulemaking process, mm-hmm. but to flesh out some of these details the same way that detailed regulations flesh out the broad strokes of statutory law. Mm-hmm. So exactly how it's going to apply to federal contractors um, and others, I think, has yet to be worked out. Mm-hmm. but it is it's tied directly to that federal funding
0: right right so it could be a punitive thing almost um i think
1: well that... a lot of these entities may already have vaccine requirements
0: right right
1: so although it's very broad and covers potentially 80 million workers many mm-hmm. many of those may already be covered by some kind of vaccine mandate in their workplace
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: certainly healthcare workers
0: Right. It's it's interesting to me, though, that there are some um, healthcare care entities that do not require vaccines um, and that there is such a it's not I don't know if it's necessarily a high rate of hesitancy, but a higher rate of hesitancy than, than one would imagine um, right. in that field.
1: I think a lot of employers entered with the softer policy at the beginning,
0: mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they
1: strongly encouraged vaccines. And for some employers, depending on the population, And maybe geography and maybe some other factors that may have been enough to get to a pretty high threshold of vaccination. Mm -hmm. Right. The requirements came in when employers began to realize they needed more of their workforce to be vaccinated. Right.
0: Right. It was hard to tell how many people were going to actually people were really excited about it. And then not everybody um, took advantage of it. So I know that um, real quick you are obviously very well versed on ADA. And I know that when it comes to mandates and things like that, there are a lot of um, ADA issues that, that pop up. How do you think that's going to play a role in the vaccination process? And especially for employers, we're going to see like a uptick in um, complaints and violations or logis- uh, lawsuits and things like that. What do you think?
1: That's possible, right? Any of these vaccine mandates in the workplace must have an exception or some sort of mechanism for individuals with disabilities or or medical contraindications um, to the vaccine to get some kind of exception. Mm -hmm. Exactly how that exception might work depends on the workplace. If you're A healthcare worker, for example, and you work very closely with vulnerable patients, it's really not going to be reasonable for you to not be vaccinated. Mm -hmm. But if you have a job where you work in a warehouse or you work outside or you can do physical distancing or you can wear a mask with less risk to the public and others, it may be reasonable to allow people who have medical reasons that they can't be vaccinated to use other means. Um, to Mm -hmm. protect themselves or working from home if you have the kind of job that can be done from home Mm -hmm. that can be a reasonable accommodation i think employers who weren't aware of the americans with disabilities act certainly became aware of the americans with disabilities act prior to the vaccine actually when there was really widespread working from home
0: and -hmm. when they
1: tried to have people return to the office lots of individuals whose medical conditions made them vulnerable. Mm-hmm. to infection and disease, asked for reasonable accommodations. Mm-hmm. So I think employers um, have gotten some practice at realizing how very many of their workers might have conditions that need to be accommodated, and hopefully they've learned how to how to better handle these requests.
0: Yeah, I think it's, I mean, we all know the, the workforce is completely changed by this pandemic and the way that we can work from any, really anywhere, um, which is good and bad. Um, <laughs> it has its moments. And then sometimes I'm here in the office, I'm like, mm, I wish I was at home. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's been interesting to me to see how employees, I mean, I'm sorry, employers react to that and kind of are trying to be a bit more nimble um, Then I think it's forced us to really be reflective and nimble in how we approach our employment.
1: Yeah there was a lot of working from home even before Mm COVID-19. It was just only in certain sectors of the economy. Um, Knowledge-based jobs like Mm -hmm. lawyers or even professors and also in finance. Um, Mm -hmm. Those are typically well-paying jobs and being able to work from home was considered a perk of those jobs. Mm -hmm. But There was a lot of working from home happening. It was just only happening in certain parts of the economy. Mm
0: -hmm. COVID
1: 19 really created a much more widespread working from home. And some people discovered that they really enjoyed that or they wanted the flexibility to be able Mm -hmm. to work from home sometimes. Mm -hmm. It allowed them to live in a lower um, cost of living area. You know, other people really it did not work for them at mm-hmm. all. So mm-hmm. I think smart employers will realize that people some people can work very effectively and very happily at mm-hmm. home at least part of the time. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll see a lot of hybrid arrangements like partly in person and and partly at home in those kind of jobs where you can do your job from home, right? Mm-hmm. That's obviously not every job. But I think smart employers will institute more flexible policies. And those that don't may find their workers looking toward those companies that are more flexible.
0: Right, right. It's going to be a competitive market. That's like <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we have really like dug into so much. Um, and I, I think I've reached my limit on <laughs> really run the gamut. But I really appreciate. You kind of really clearing things up and hope that this has been super informative for our live guests
1: thank you guys thank you everyone
0: thank you for joining us for Slu law summations produced by st louis university school of law